Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys uh, here at the service, and I'm excited to continue this series we've called Radical Love. And, and I want to say something about what Damaris was talking about. You know, we, we take serious the call to express radical love to our city, uh, to the people of our city. And uh, it's what I want to talk with you about today, how we're going to do that as a church movement. Now, a few weeks ago, I had the chance to meet with some pastors from all across the country in Atlanta to talk about, to strategize about our part of Jesus' movement, that movement that Jesus began 2,000 years ago, what we were going to do to continue it and to continue it in the way that Jesus wanted it to continue. And while we were there, Barbara and I had the opportunity to visit the Martin Luther King Jr. Visitor Center and the church that he pastored when he was a pastor in Atlanta, the Ebenezer Baptist Church. You see, as a young man, Dr. King, he saw something in his culture. He saw the oppression that poverty and racism brought to so many people in our society, and it wrecked him. And he determined to do something about it. And he led a movement, a nonviolent movement, to protest oppression in his day. And his efforts literally changed the face of our country. When Dr. King saw poverty and oppression, it wrecked him. And Barbara and I had the opportunity to sit in his church, Ebenezer Baptist Church, and they had excerpts from some of his messages that he preached there. And we literally wept as we listened to his messages of hope and inspiration and love. It was just a very moving, moving time for me personally as a leader. And it made me think of my calling to lead us to do something about what wrecks us in our society. You see, Dr. King, he saw oppression in his day and it wrecked him. And he literally risked his life to do something about it, to do something about what wrecked him. Does anything wreck you? Does anything make you mad or sad or fed up? Maybe it's the malnourished kids in our city, many of whom go without nutritious meals over the weekend. Maybe it's the runaway teens that Damaris talked about who get tricked into trafficking while they're fleeing some kind of issue in their family. Maybe it's people uh, who, who's, uh, who are fleeing from homes due to violence. Maybe it's poverty. Maybe it's homelessness. Maybe it's uh, the, uh, an orphan who is an orphan because of either death or dysfunction. Folks, does anything wreck you? Because it's what wrecks you that motivates you to live the life that is truly life. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. You see, this time of year, we turn our thoughts to the stories that tell the narrative of Jesus' birth. It's Christmas. And we believe that when Jesus was born, God became a human being and lived among us. And there's so many parts of the Christmas story uh, that we like to look at at this season. We love looking at all of the miraculous stuff and the cool stuff, you know, like angels appearing and giving messages to people, right? And the virgin birth and the, the star that guided the magi to, to come and see Jesus. But there's another part of the Christmas story that we don't normally look at. And I alluded to it last week. This week, I want us to come back to it and actually read this part of the Christmas story. This is Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, where Matthew wrote, 
an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, that's Jesus' earthly father, appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for King Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where they stayed until Herod's death. You see, you don't normally read that part of the Christmas story, do you, when you're sitting around the Christmas tree? You see, it's not a very pleasant part of the story. There was this narcissistic king who wanted to kill Jesus. He was threatened by Jesus. And so Jesus' family fled from their homeland due to violence. They became refugees in a foreign land. And scholars believe that Jesus fled from his homeland in Israel when he was about two And they stayed in Egypt for about two to three years. So when he was three, four, and five, and and so I want you to think about the implications of that part of the Christmas story. Jesus' earliest childhood memories were as a child of poverty in a foreign land. And how about the God? The God who allowed his son to experience that so that some of his earliest memories were as a person of poverty in a foreign land. How about that God had a plan for that? He allowed him to experience that so he would never forget it. Because it's evident it wrecked Jesus. And decades later, when he started the movement, he called the church. He intended that his movement would do something about it. And so one of his first recorded messages when he began to speak in their religious gatherings of his day One of the first recorded messages is based on a prophecy from the uh, Jewish scriptures from Isaiah. And it's recorded in, um, where am I? It's recorded in Luke chapter 4, sorry. And Jesus, when he speaks this this word, he's uh, identifying himself as the person the prophet was speaking about. This is Luke 4. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? The poor. And to set the oppressed free. That means Jesus intended, as a part of his movement, that his movement would bring good news to the poor. And would help the oppressed experience freedom. And this is what I want us to get. We are the movement. We are the movement. Can you say that with me, like as an affirmation? Let's say it together out loud. Everybody in the video cafe, I want you to say this out loud. And say it like you believe it. We are the movement. The church is a people, not a place. The church is a body, the body of Christ on the earth, not a building. The church is a movement, not a meeting. And Jesus intends that we, the people, that we, his body, that we, his movement, would continue to do something about what wrecked him when he was on the earth, He wants us to be wrecked by what wrecked him. He wants us to do something about it. He wants us to show radical love, especially to the poor and the oppressed. Now, last week we unpacked a story where Jesus pictured what radical love looks like. Let me me give you the background again because I want us to go back to it. God showed me something fresh this week from this story. So Jesus taught people that the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the number one. The second command is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
And then one of the religious leaders Jesus was speaking to said, well, what does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? And in response, Jesus told the story that we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. And remember, he's answering, what does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? What does it mean to show radical love? You ready? This is Luke chapter 10, verse 30. So in reply to that question, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. Okay, so think about this. This bloody man. Put him on his donkey. So for you, it would be your car. Imagine picking up a bloodied man and putting him in your car. That's what this good Samaritan did. And he took him to an inn and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So Jesus' story begins with a person in need. In this case, a person who was robbed and beaten, but it could have been anyone in need. It's supposed to picture anyone in need. It could be a person who had become homeless or a person who was fleeing abuse or maybe a, a child who became an orphan. And his point in showing the person in need is, is teaching us how we're supposed to respond when we see a person in need because the good Samaritan saw a person in need and it wrecked him. He said, Jesus said that he took pity on him so it did something to his heart and then he took care of him. And that's radical love. You see, the good Samaritan, he bandaged his wounds. And then he put him on his donkey. And he took him to an inn, which like in our day, they didn't have hospitals in their day. So it would, it would be like taking him to a place where he could get well and get, be taken care of. And then did you notice what else he did? He gave something. He, he not only paid an expense, he said, and I'll pay whatever it costs to take care of this person. You see, the good Samaritan saw someone in need and it wrecked him. So he did something about it. The good Samaritan saw someone in need and it wrecked him. So he gave something to help. The good Samaritan saw someone in need and it wrecked him. So he showed radical love. And that's what Jesus wants us to do as we continue his movement. Now, if you're, if you're new to church and you're still not sure what you think about God and Jesus and all, that's, that's fine. I'm glad you're here. We are the kind of church community where you can come no matter where you are in your journey and explore our faith in Jesus Christ. We really do believe Jesus is the Son of God. We believe he's risen from the dead to prove it. And we believe he can give you eternal life forever. He can forgive all your sins. We believe Jesus can give you an abundant life here and now. And we believe that as a part of following Jesus in his movement, that he has called us, his movement, to show radical love to all people, really, but especially to those who are in need, those who are poor, those who are oppressed. But there's, a, there's another aspect of this story that I felt like God spoke to me uh, uh, about it this week. And it, this is the word that I want to speak to us. Because if you, if you notice the Good Samaritan, that Good Samaritan in showing radical love, had to risk. He had to risk getting involved in a person 
who he had never met, getting involved in this person's life. He had to risk getting involved in taking care of this person with no end in sight. And then he risked not only paying for some of his expenses, but saying, I'll pay whatever it costs without knowing the total amount. I mean, folks, that's risk. But I think what Jesus is saying to us is it's in the risk. It's in the risk of showing radical love that you experience the life that is truly life. Risk is an inherent part of showing radical love. But that's where the life is. That's where the abundant life is. And let's just be honest. Jesus never hid the fact that being a part of his movement involved some self-denial and sacrifice. You know, shortly before he told this story about radical love, the story of the Good Samaritan, he said this to his followers. These aren't my words. These are Jesus' words. Luke 9, 23. He said, whoever wishes to come after me must deny themselves, take up their own crosses daily, and follow me. So when Jesus talked about coming after me, he's talking about his movement. It's his movement. He started the movement. He leads the movement still to this day. It's his movement. And this is what he's saying to his followers. If you're going to get in on my movement where we're going, it will involve some self-denial, and it will involve some sacrifice. You will have to take up your own cross. Well, what does that mean? I mean, does Jesus want us to like build a cross and carry it? No. Okay, I think you know that's not what he means. What was the cross for Jesus? The cross was the point in his journey where he obeyed God's will. He obeyed his father's will, even though it cost him. And I think when Jesus is talking to us about taking up our own crosses, notice he, he didn't say take up my cross. He said take up your own cross. That means you have a cross, you have a cross, you have a cross, I have a cross. You're not supposed to take up my cross. You're supposed to take up your cross. Your cross is where you follow God's will and obey God's will even if it costs you. So carrying your own cross, uh, it may involve rearranging your life to help someone in need. It may involve rearranging your finances to help someone in need. It may involve taking some risk to get involved in someone's life. I mean, think about the Good Samaritan. He rubs shoulders with the person in need whom he had never met. And that's scary, isn't it? It's a little bit risky. But the cross, the burden you may have to carry, the challenge you may have to face, the risk you may have to take, that's where the life is. The life that is truly life. And Jesus' vision of his own movement is that it will involve risk because when you show radical love, it implies risk. Look, if you never take risks in life, you'll never do anything about what wrecks you. If you're going to do something about what wrecks you, you're going to have to take risks. But sometimes we, we just like to play it safe, don't we? Sometimes we play it safe because we don't want to deal with new people or new situations or new hassles. Sometimes we play it safe, let's just be honest, because we don't want to ha have to deal with disappointments or perhaps pain or sacrifice, you know, or loss. We just don't want to deal with it. And, and so we think, if I don't get involved, if I just don't get involved, I can't lose anything, right? And that may be true. If you don't take risks, you don't lose anything, but you don't win either. You know what I'm saying? When you take the risk of showing radical love and getting involved, 
You get to experience joy of knowing you've helped another human being. You get to experience the satisfaction, the purpose, the meaning of knowing that your life is making an impact in the life of someone else. And I think that's where the life that is truly life is experienced. I think at some point you have to decide that you're going to take the risk of doing something about what wrecks you and the needs that are among us. I'm calling you out this Christmas season. I'm calling you out to risk doing something for people in need. I'm calling you out of the monotonous life. I'm calling you out of the life with a job, a spouse, a house, two kids, two cars, and a bunch of soccer games. I'm calling you to something greater than video game playing, avocado toast eating, Netflix binging, IPA drinking, pumpkin spice latte sipping life. Come on. The life that is life is in the risk. It's not in the comfortable. It's not in the safe. It's not in the isolated, insulated suburb. I'm calling you out. I'm asking you to risk doing something for someone in need. Begin to feel what wrecks Jesus and let it wreck you. Because as you seek to do something about it, to risk doing something, that's when you get to experience the life that is truly life. But you got to risk. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, Pastor Brent, you know, it's so easy for you to talk about risk because, I mean, you're a risky guy, right? <laughs> See, pe people who know me, who, like, who really know me, they know that's not true. I am like risk averse. I don't like risks. And I'll give you an example. Like my dad told me, and my dad gets this. My dad told me that when I was a little kid and he was teaching me to ride a bicycle, he told me I could have ridden my bicycle months and months before I let him take the training wheels off. I wouldn't let him take the training wheels off. And he had to actually like talk me into it and trick me into it. Because, why? Because I was afraid. I was afraid of failure. I was afraid I would fall. I was, I was afraid I'd get hurt. And so I wouldn't let him take the training wheels off. But how many of you know? The exhilaration of riding a bike is exponentially greater when you take the training wheels off. And this is what I'm going to say to you. If you want to experience the life that is truly life, it will not be experienced with training wheels on. Sometime in your life, you're going to have to risk taking the training wheels off and doing something. But I promise you, that's where the life that is truly life is experienced. And so, <clears throat> one of my spiritual mentors taught me these truths. He taught me about uh, being willing to deny yourself and to take up your own cross, to risk some stuff, to serve people who are oppressed or people who are poor. And so, one of, one of, when I first got serious about following Jesus in my own life, I traveled with my mentor, and we snuck into communist, atheistic countries in uh, Eastern Europe. And so, in one country, Romania, we snuck into the country, and we met with college students out up in the mountains. And there, we, we mentored them in the teachings of Jesus. And we met with them in the mountains in secret because if it was discovered that they were meeting with us, they could be kicked out of college. And I also met with university students uh, in East Germany, back when East Germany was still East Germany, when the Berlin Wall was still up and it was still communist. 
And I met with these young people in East Germany who as teenagers, if they wanted to get a driver's license and if they wanted to go to college, they had to sign a document that said that they were atheists and that they were communists. So imagine being a teenager in your own government forcing you to have to make a statement like that. And you know what? I learned something from those young East Germans. They had such a vision for life. And uh, when I met with them, they had, they had like a theme, like a rallying cry for their part of Jesus' movement. And they, they pictured it, and they had a, a, a saying with it, a rallying cry. And the picture is of a white bird sitting on a hot wire, you know, and with, with these words uh, around the picture, Vertrauen wagen damit wir leben können, which means we must trust ourselves to risk, to have life. The life is in the risk. And I am calling you out to take a risk. So about 12 years ago, I sensed that God wanted our church to do something to serve the people on the African continent. Never been to Africa. Don't know why I was feeling it, but I was just feeling it. And I mentioned it to my mentor. Well, anyway, uh, he, he traveled like in 50 different countries, uh, ministering all around the world. And he encouraged us to consider the people of Liberia. He said that Liberia in West Africa was started by former slaves in the U.S. who wanted to go back to the African continent. So they started the first republic in Africa. But they had been through a brutal, brutal 13-year civil war that had devastated their economy and just the psyche of the people. And so they're, they're a, a, a very poor country. They have a lot of needs. And so me and a small team, we went to Liberia. We risked going there, having never been there before, to see if we could do something. Take a look. Located on the West African coast, Liberia is Africa's first and oldest modern republic. In recent years, two bloody civil wars claimed the lives of over 200,000 people and displaced millions of others. In March 2014, a deadly Ebola outbreak created more political and economic turmoil and led to the deaths of thousands. Today, nearly 80% of Liberians live under the international poverty line. For more than a decade, City Church has partnered with Pastor Emmanuel Gianfi and an organization called Liberia Now to invest in the people of Liberia. Our relief and development efforts are focused on five areas to improve daily life. Developing local pastors and their families, microloans for economic growth, water wells, and two areas where City Church has invested significantly in the last few years, healthcare and education. Pastor Gianfi opened up the new community clinic to serve the health needs of the local people. During the Ebola crisis, when many hospitals and clinics closed, new communities stayed open and saved lives. City Church donated $10,000 to give the clinic the tools they needed to contain the Ebola outbreak. In 2014, City Church invested $20,000 to finish construction and open the Victory Life Academy which now serves 246 students from pre-K to eighth grade. As of 2018, City Church also provides scholarships for 41 students. Pastor Gianfi has made it clear, education is the top priority for Liberia now. 
Education doesn't just change lives and communities, it can change the direction of the entire nation. Social action is about more than meeting basic needs for today, it is about providing development for a sustainable tomorrow. And when you give to the Social Action Fund, you are investing in a bright future for Liberia. So would you join me in welcoming Pastor Emmanuel Giampi? So Pastor Giampi, would you like to express words of greeting to our church and to those watching online? In Jesus' name, say amen. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. Indeed, God is so good. I brought greetings from Liberia, West Africa, from Great Commission, Victory Ministry, International, Victory Life Church. I came along with my beautiful wife. <laughs> we are grateful to God for his mercy and grace upon our life, and also to you for your contribution, your prayers to encouraging us to do what we do. There's no word to express your goodness, but God continue to bless you as you continue to support us to do what God has called us for. God bless you. Amen. Thank you. So when, when I first traveled to Liberia, one of the first things Pastor Gianfi did was he took me to his church uh, property and what I noticed when I walked up to his church property, he had the church auditorium, you know, where they met to worship. And there was this huge building beside it that was twice the size of the auditorium, and it was the clinic that you saw. And when I, when I saw that, I thought, what vision, right? And so Pastor Gianfi talked to us about why you had the vision to build a clinic twice the size of your uh, church worships, uh, worship center. Our ministry is, is a holistic ministry who we are reaching on safe at all costs. So a spiritual aspect is winning soul for Christ. Also, we seek social and moral needs of the people, which is a health and education. And where the church is located, there's no clinic there to serve the people. When someone got sick, they travel far distance to get to hospital. Sometimes on their way going, something different thing happened to them. So we thought it necessary that to build a clinic so we can serve our community when they have needs. Also, you use the clinic as a means of evangelism. As the people come to the clinic to seek their medical help, we to take advantage and give them the class. So you use it as evangelism to save life. Amen. Amen. And, and one, one, one part that he did not say, they do not turn away anyone. And so if they do not have an ability to pay, uh, that's a part of why donations are important because their, their philosophy is to take care of everyone. And those that can pay do pay uh, uh, an amount, but then those that can't, their goal is to serve them. Now, the other uh, thing that uh, Emmanuel did on the first trip that I, I was with him, he took us out into the jungle. And it's like, I, I felt like we were in the middle of, of nowhere. And he said, we need to build a school here. And I remember thinking, well, but pastor, there's no people here. Why would you build a school out in the middle of nowhere? He said, oh, no, they're all around us. You just don't see them. And he had vision for the school. And he also told me a part of the goal for the school 
was to have at least half of the students be girls. And that's very important in the African culture. And so can you explain to us of why that was a part of the vision from the very beginning to have a school where, where girls were uh, going to school and having scholarships? As I said from the beginning, education is a fundamental rise that every child needs to benefit. And in Africa, in where we find ourselves, the people are not privatized education, especially girls, because we are dominated by Muslim community. So we decided to build a school so that we can give opportunity to get. Because during the Civil War, we saw that the ladies abuse. So when they get chance to educate themselves, they were able to make right choice, where to say no, where to say yes, to identify their values, so they can able to protect themselves. So we decided to able to have the school so we can privatize them so the ladies will be able to get a chance to learn. Because if you educate one girl, you are educating a nation because they take care of children. So it's very important that you educate your girl child and you'll be a benefit to the whole nation. And I just, I don't want y'all to understand that is not typical uh, because in their country, all of the schools are private. You have, you have to pay for your child to go to school. And so if you have three or four children and you can only afford to send one or two, you send the boys, you don't send the girls. Well, Pastor Gianfi and Ruth's vision is, no, you have to send the girls because not only do they get educated, they educate all their children. And, and within a couple of generations, you can have an educated nation. And that's the vision. Isn't that a big vision? I mean, gosh. Uh, so, um, so can you, can you talk to us a little bit about how Liberia now has impacted your community? Liberia now has impacted in the community greatly. Since 2008 coming in the area of health, as the pastor said from beginning during the Ebola, Liberia now really contributed so that we can be able to save more life. Liberia now also empowering the woman so they can be able to take care of their children. As you can see the macro loan, thousands of dollars have been provided for them. Some of them able to, able to build their house. Some of them able to educate their children. Some of them able to improve their life. Also, Liberia now also able to help us to construct a virtual life academy. And then now, as you can see, the children are building up their good foundation so their mindset can be transformed and do what is right for them. Because during the war, many things happen because politicians use the children against their own parents because lack of education. So Liberia now has made a great impact in that area. Also, the water world. No Africa, especially Liberia, where we find ourselves, you need to create means to get your own water. We don't have running pipe water going to the video houses. So as a result, many people couldn't be able to get clean water and they contact a sickness and disease. So Liberia now have been helping so that you can be able to construct the water wall so people can be able to have safe drinking water. So it's really made a tremendous impact and transformed life, both spiritually and physically. Amen. Amen. Now, one of, the, one of the other observations that I've had uh, since I've met Emmanuel and Ruth is they have a son who's about the same age as uh, my daughter. And uh, Ruth, his name is Rufus, and he grew up, a lot of his earliest childhood experiences were during the Civil War. So they were very difficult situations to have experienced. But what I noticed from the first time I met Rufus is he just has this big smile on his face all the time. And so I remember I finally asked Pastor Gianfi, 
How did you raise a son under such difficult circumstances? But he smiles all the time. And this is how he answered me. No, during the war, we experienced hardship and difficulties. But one thing we learned from that is uh, in hardship, we learned how to trust God. Be patient, be honest, do right things. And the hardship is unbearable. But trusting God will make it easy because only him can change things. So Rufus learned, no matter the situation he finds himself in, there's a hope. God can change the story for the better. So you always believe that to have joy and love always. That's why you can see him that way. Because only God can change the situation. All right, isn't that cool? So, so this is what, uh, what I'm asking us to do, us as a church. I'm asking you to pray, and I'm asking you to pray and to ask the Spirit of God, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to risk doing something to serve someone in need? You, you, you can't go to the library. You probably can't, but you can do something right here. Damaris talked to you about the five organizations that have come to us and asked us for help. That might be a first step for you, and I encourage you to consider that. The second thing I'm asking you to pray about is what God wants you to give to the social action fund. I'm asking you to pray. I don't want you to give what I want you to give. I want you to give whatever God leads you to give. And we're going to be taking up a special offering next week for our social action fund. And I do ask that it be above what you normally give to the church movement that you support when you give your general offerings. Uh, and my prayer is that God would bless you as you risk doing something and giving something. Uh, and so what I would like to do to close our service is to ask Pastor Gianfi if he would pray a blessing over us. So would you please stand? Everybody in the video cafe and watching online, would you please stand? And receive the blessing. May God guard and protect you. May God expand your life until fulfill your destiny. May God shine his face upon you. May God be generous to you and grant your heart desire. May God direct your step that you're about to enter in the year 2019. May God abandon grace to bless you all the way to your destiny. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor. Amen.